she's told me like how I'd fucked everything up and it was all my fault, et cetera. She just went off on me. And then I remember like it was yesterday, just pulling the phone away from my ear and just setting it down and walking away. Welcome to another episode of Strangers in Passing. I'm your host, Beverly Teresa, and this week we talk with Gary. Gary, I was like, I don't know who this Gary person is who signed up to be on the podcast, but I'm interested in speaking with him. So if you haven't listened to previous episodes of Strangers in Passing, it's basically a podcast about people you might not know or kind of know, but you get to know pretty well. I got to know Gary pretty well, and it was actually a really fun conversation. In this episode, we talk about workplace PTSD, Tinder in the world of online dating, hookups, and even we talk about Internet 2001. did I send you an invite to the show or how did you hear about it? I was just talking to Amit. Oh, okay. I'm helping Amit with her website. Oh, are you the copywriter? That's me. Oh yeah. my God, Gary. Oh my God, Beverly. <laughs> I've heard so many things about you actually. But like, oh, really? Yeah. Tell me. <laughs> well, I don't even, something, she's just always like, Gary's going to help me with that. I'm like, okay. <laughs> All right. I'm like the tonic for everything. Yeah. Oh, yeah I broke my shoelace. Gary's going to help me with that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> in your email, you said that you've been on about 300 dates in the last 20 months. And counting. Tell me why 300 dates. Uh, it's not like a goal, to be honest. Um. I would have been happy to only have been on one date. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like met someone and then awesome. Like let's go on a long journey together. Okay, um, so how old are you? 50. Are you into hookups? <laughs> um, well, I like sex. Uh, so, you know, am I into hookups? I'm not into the hookup culture, <laughs> like, um, but I, when, before I started dating, I, I set some boundaries for myself, I okay. guess. I asked myself some questions um, like that because I wanted to know what my own boundaries were, like just by kind of having that conversation with myself before I started. Mm -hmm. And so <clears throat> one of the questions I asked myself was, um, would you sleep with someone on a first date? And my answer to myself was yes, but the conditions of that were that, you know, well, first of all, I, I can't do that stuff without like emotional and intellectual engagement. So really? yeah, like I just, cause it's not, it's no fun. Like it's to me, it's not like, you know, it's not like, like working a water pump or something, you know, I mean, <laughs> if you're going to do that, you just, just masturbate better, you know, yeah. like, um, because uh, I, I actually really do like it. 
uh, like sex, uh, but I'm really, I'm looking to connect with someone in a meaningful way. So it would have to kind of meet that condition. And also <clears throat> one of my early experiences um, where that happened, um, where it was like first date sex, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, uh, she had had too much to drink and I didn't pay close enough attention to that. And the result was when I went to see her a day or two later, she was so full of shame and guilt and it was, it was horrible. Like I, so I felt badly, but it totally cratered the chance of a relationship with her because I actually really liked her, you know? So, um, so then I added kind of that asterisk to say that, (laughs) you know, there can't, you can't be drunk or whatever. Right. Right. Um, so, so am I into hookups? Yeah. You know, um, they're okay, I guess. I'm, I'm willing to go there. But, you know, it, it's got to be, it's got to feel right, you know? Out of the 300 dates, how many of those have just been hookups? 299. <laughs> You're such a liar. <laughs> <laughs> I ask all the gross questions. <laughs> hey, that's kind of your job, isn't it? Like, yeah, I guess. <laughs> so, uh, I, I really am not scared of talking about this stuff. So. Okay. Um, uh, hmm. uh, well, you know, I'm going to say, so in that time I've had like 13 kind of girlfriends, if you will, like people that I dated exclusively, I didn't have sex with all those people. So that would be like maybe about 10, um, in that, in that number. And then probably about another 10 times were more hookup kind of scenarios as a 50 year old man how many women have you slept with in your lifetime <laughs> um i'm gonna say like less than 25 so most of my sleeping with people has happened in the context of dating like in the last 20 months is that an average like do you know like for is that an average for 50 year old men I, I have no idea because, you know, my, my friends and I talk about football and poker and stuff. <laughs> like, we don't talk about, you know, dating really. It's honestly, it's more likely to, to happen in conversations with, um, with someone who's also dating. Right. But none of my friends are doing that really. Like, I don't, I don't really have, like, I have one really good friend who's single, but he doesn't, he's not dating. Like, he's kind of thrown in the towel a little bit so you're not so, like with your buddies and you're not like oh i smashed this girl last night <laughs> yeah no i mean of course you know like i would never use such <laughs> disrespectful language but you know uh beverly <laughs> Jeez. so you saw um, me on tinder right mm-hmm. what did you think of me did you swipe right or left you can be honest uh if i didn't know you i i would have I, I, it's hard to say because, because I knew who you were because I, you know, working on a meets website, you know, some of the background images are you. Right. Uh, so I, I see you all the time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But if you didn't know me, if I didn't know you, it's, it, I think that's an impossible answer to give because I did know you. So, Fine. um, I, I would say I, I would be, uh, less inclined to swipe right because you're young. 
Really? I'm not that young. Well, you're 33, I think. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So that's, that's, that's kind of, you know, usually 40 has been the waterline for me. Really? Okay. Yeah. Just because I'm, but it doesn't mean I haven't dated people who are younger than that, including someone who is like 30, but um, it didn't happen in the same way. Like it happened more on, uh, on a, a, a site where there was communication first. Right. Like POF or something. But if you don't want to date someone or if you thought I was too young, why are your search parameters that low? That is a very interesting <laughs> question. Silence. So maybe, maybe the thing is, Beverly, because what happens is that it automatically sets those parameters when mm -hmm. you set it up. I don't think so. Oh, it does. Does it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, you never went in and edited it. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, well, what are you getting at, Beverly? <laughs> I'm but just like, don't make here's the thing. <laughs> here's the thing. If, if you had swiped right on me, even though I hadn't selected those parameters, you would still show up in my feed. So maybe you swipe right on me. So there. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> That's true. Well, I mean, I have my parameters set from 29 to 55 plus. Hmm. So... Well, maybe we should go on a date, Beverly. No, that's awkward. Okay, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> Did I close that topic for you? <laughs> yep. On to the next topic. Can we please talk about... <laughs> can we please talk about... You so said who's going to edit what out of this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave that part in. Don't worry about it. <laughs> I don't care. Uh, yeah, I, okay. I really don't. I'm, I'm open about things, so, and that's important to me. So I, anything I say, I'm happy to be held to account for that. Can you please talk to me about PTSD in 2015 from the narcissistic behavior of a boss in 2007? Oh my goodness. Um, okay, so yeah, I was, I was diagnosed with PTSD in 2015. Right. Um, and uh, it was based on uh, an experience that I had on a business trip in France in 2007. Okay. So <clears throat> basically what happened is we were there it was a company in the semiconductor business that had a product for wireless testing of semiconductor manufacturing. And so that stuff is destructive when they test semiconductors. So this is wireless and it was really interesting to different people. We, we were doing a project with this big company that was based in France. And it was like, um, it's kind of like a science project where they're, they're, they're making these kind of innovative things and they're trying to test the technology to see if they can use it. So we were in the hotel room in Corbevoie, which is like just outside of Paris. It's just like mm -hmm. a suburb of Paris. And uh, it's like two in the morning. Um, my partner in crime over there and I were having a couple beers and like trying to get ready to go to sleep. And CEO comes into the room, like basically bangs on the door, comes into the room, asks to see the, the presentation that we're going to give the next day to these guys. And... Uh, and he's like banging away on the laptop and he's saying like, this is not a sales presentation. You know, like he was whatever, kind of being a dick. Um, and then, uh, so we just, you know, he went back to bed uh, and we didn't, you know, we didn't really know what he'd done. <laughs> like, so um, <laughs> we went to the meeting and we're talking with a guy, Stefan, who was like, 
the head of pilot assembly, what it's called for this company. And these are the guys who like invented the CD. Oh, guys who did the e-passport. Like these are fucking smart people. Yeah. Um, and awesome. It was so, they were such great guys. Um, and so we were talking about the technology stuff and they're working on this really cool thing called the e-pill. And um, then Steve, the CEO, just kind of bangs a hand on the table, gets up and, and points at me and says to navigate to slide 47 or whatever. And then he puts up this slide with like a spreadsheets and stuff on it and goes into this basically 45 minute rant um, about how they really should get off their ass and just buy the technology for like $10 million. And instead of this $250,000 additional project, basically that we're trying to, that's why we're there to get another project. <laughs> and <clears throat> so Steve does this, he sits down and then Stefan is like silence. And then he's like, I really, I wish you hadn't wasted the last 45 minutes with this garbage because that's what it is. And he didn't have great English, but that's actually what he said. <laughs> he used the word garbage. <laughs> like he was clearly a little uh, irked by things. Yeah. Um, he said, this is not our business model. Those are not our numbers. I don't know where you got that from, but whatever. And then, so then I kind of, I re-railed the conversation back to talking about technology stuff. And then, so we got back to talking about that and then kind of put the presentation away a little bit. and. Um, and it worked out like we got the project. So it was, I totally saved the day. So we get in the rental car to go back to Paris and Steve just starts yelling at me, telling me how I'd fucked everything up, telling me it was all my fault, like really just laying into me. And I just remember looking at his face and at the time, uh, my now ex-wife was she had gone back to school to become a speech pathologist. And so I was the only income. So I couldn't afford to lose that job. Um, I couldn't walk back to Paris from rural Normandy. Yeah. That's where it was like two and a half hours away. And, you know, I couldn't put my fist through his face and get arrested. <laughs> you know. So um, then what happened? <clears throat> so we went back, came back home, etc. About, like three and a half weeks later, we were getting ready to go on another trip to Germany and Italy and flying to Amsterdam on a Saturday. And I came into the office on Thursday morning and I, I was like in this total zombie mode. I couldn't work the phone. I couldn't log into the computer. I couldn't do anything. I've never felt anything like that in my life. So I'm not really like an anxious person. So, mm -hmm. you know, I don't, um, I don't really get panic attacks or things like that, um, anxiety attacks and stuff like it's not really been a part of my life, but this is like all that stuff that people had talked about. And I was just totally like totally fucked up. And so I went to see my doctor and he said, you're out of there for at least six weeks. And I snapped out of it like about six days later out of yeah. this zombie mode. And I was like, well, that was a shitty experience. And I just went and got another job like that day. Oh, so, um, so I quit and got another job and kind of chalked it up to being a shitty experience. So then fast forward to 2015 and I'm working with a client on a big website and we, uh, had to hire these summer interns, um, uh, like, uh, university students 
to help us with the site because it was a lot of content and you know we needed you know, some more hands to do more writing and so we did that and um i didn't really get a bunch of time to work with with those kids in the first week or so like they were kind of getting oriented to the to the organization and like going on tours and going to different meetings and doing kind of the the be a, be a summer intern kind of uh-huh. stuff and <clears throat> so my client um she was going on vacation so for a week and on the thursday afternoon before her week of vacation um she asked me not to come in to the office the following week because um that's what i did i i like i like to work on site with clients and stuff like that yeah. like i like to be there partly because you know it sucks being by yourself all the time and also because i really like to absorb what their stuff is like like you know like who they are as an organization all this you can't really get that stuff remotely so i i said okay fine whatever and then so on the friday before she left she sent out an email saying about the writing assignments for the for the following week while she was gone and it was really heavy like she was asking the students to like write 25 pages each <sighs> which is a lot of content yeah and i had spent like half an hour with these kids like we hadn't really been through the whole writing for the web stuff and you know i hadn't really gotten to know them etc and then she also in that note there were like you know 10 or so pages that i was supposed to write including stuff like the home page and whatever because i was you know being responsible for that stuff and so <clears throat> i just thought you know that was kind of weird but whatever and so the following week while she was gone um i checked in to the shared workspace like to the google docs thing uh-huh. and i took a look at the work that the students were doing and it was all copy paste they'd just taken old web pages <laughs> copied the content and put it into documents and i'm just like um <laughs> <laughs> so i went in on thursday um and i talked to them and i kind of got them straightened out and um on the right track in terms of you know writing for the web and the fact that we know we can't just copy paste, we've got to write new content. Um, that's kind of the whole point. And so I worked with them on Thursday, then I went in again on Friday, worked with them again, got some pages done, took them out for a drink after, after, uh, after work on Friday, you know, it's kind of like a high five thing, like good job. Yeah. And you know, cause I was, you know, they, they made a lot of progress in those two days. And so then, <clears throat> I got a call on Tuesday morning cause it was like a, a long weekend. Uh, so, um, from my client and she asked me if I was coming in that day and I said, actually, no, because, uh, there was some stuff I wanted to do at the end of last week, but I had to come in here uh, or come into the office. And I don't know if you checked, um, while you were gone, but, um, the students had just copied and pasted content, not really written it. And so, um, so then she started yelling at me and <laughs> she's told me like how I'd fucked everything up and it was all my fault, etc. She just went off on me. And then I remember like it was yesterday, just pulling the phone away from my ear and just setting it down and walking away. Oh like, my not God. Even, not even hanging up. And I went into that same zombie mode. So 
six days later, literally, <laughs> I snapped out of it. And I'm like, holy shit, that feels familiar. This is just what happened with Steve back in 2007. And so then I got help. I went to see a psychologist and that's yeah. when I got diagnosed. That's crazy. And like, I said, I thought this was for like first responders and soldiers and stuff. Like yeah. I was kind of like, I was kind of like arguing with him a little bit saying like, do I really have that? And he's like, I, you know, like, dude, I could have pulled it from the textbook. Wow. So, I wonder how many people have PTSD from a job who've experienced something similar to yours and they don't get help or they don't even know it's PTSD. That's crazy. I'm going to say a fucking shit ton of yeah. people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like for real. And I think also because I think everything is spectral, right? So yeah. everything's on a spectrum. And so I think there's stuff like micro PTSD, you know, right. like when people are scared of spiders, Oh, that shit comes from somewhere. Like you don't, you know, I don't think you're just born scared of spiders or they're just creepy because they have too many legs. <laughs> no, Beverly, you have arach arachnophobia. Um, it's actually PTSD. Uh, so yeah, no, I think, I think there are tons of people with that in their life because again, it's spectral. So it doesn't mean that, you know, like for me versus someone who is like serving tours in Afghanistan, yeah, like it's a totally different thing, you oh, know? Yeah. And I think also, uh, like anything, how you are before you go into it really has an impact on what your experience is like. So for me, I couldn't feel anything in zombie mode. And basically, as far as I read, what happens is your emotional center basically gets shut down in order to protect you. And okay. so you can't really feel stuff. The only thing I could feel was this, what I call this administrative rage, basically. So my ex was asking me at the time, like, so we we're still married because, you know, uh, that yeah. was in, in both, in both cases. Um, cause I, I didn't split up till the beginning of 2017. Um, so she was just asking because she knew something was wrong. So she's like, Gary, what's wrong? What's wrong? And I was like, I don't know what's wrong. <laughs> like, like, so I wasn't, wasn't like a violent rage or anything. Yeah. Like, I wasn't going to hurt anybody or do anything weird. Um, but it was, that was the only emotion that I could feel. Is that why people go postal at work? Do you think? <laughs> I, I believe it's true because, and the reason I said that, like that guy who shot up the military base, if you remember that, like right. five, five years ago, yeah, totally think that that was happening. But I think, you know, if you go into PTSD with anger issues, it's not going to help you. Yeah. <laughs> like, so yeah, people definitely have gone into rages and done really, really horrible things that they would never do if they weren't in that state. Interesting. So yeah, it's like, oh yeah, I think, I think a lot of people, and I've in, in terms of the dating thing, I know I've met lots of people who have it. Really? And some, some don't know, you know? Do you tell them? <laughs> uh, I'm not really a person who likes to tell people what to do like I definitely used to be like that so I'm really actually grateful for my PTSD because it it started me down a path of really self-awareness and self-improvement 
and this kind of stuff and really gave me some good tools to kind of go beyond just like healing. Right. Actually not just getting better from PTSD, but getting better as myself for myself. So is that what the I feel podcast you're starting is going Uh, to be like? Hells yeah. Hells yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about like who you're interviewing and like what you'll be talking about? I guess. Well, I'm going to be interviewing some internet luminaries like Beverly Teresa. Mm, hello. And <laughs> Amit Cabra, you right. know. Yeah. These, <laughs> these ladies of the web. Um, <laughs> ladies of the night web. Ladies of the <laughs> night web. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, which is, you know, that may be true. I may, I may be interviewing lots of different people that I just know who, you know, it might be you know, interesting to do that. But um, uh, there's one guy that uh, I use this thing in my work called empathy maps. Okay. So it's basically a way that you can kind of codify your empathy for a market segment. Oh. So it kind of comes from the whole innovation space. Right. So uh, the guy who developed it is one of the people who developed agile scrum. Okay. That methodology, if you've heard of that. Um, so he's a guy named Dave Gray, and he's agreed to be on the podcast. So, oh, cool. Um, uh, people like that I'm really interested in, where he's actually taken something as part of developing this methodology. It was primarily a bunch of nerds building, making code, um, and, you know, uh, wanting to do things to kind of gamify the process of getting the empathy into what you're doing so that you're not building stuff in a vacuum that's really good for other nerds, but doesn't do anything for the person who actually needs to use what you're doing. Yeah, that makes sense. I like, I'm going to have to Google that after. Yeah, totally. Yeah. We, I, I did some with a meet and uh, so yeah, no, it's, it's, they're all over the web, like not all over, but you can, you'll find lots of examples when you, okay. when you Google empathy maps. And it's a funny thing because I actually reserved the domains, empathy map and empathymaps.com. Oh, like, snap. Just because I saw that they were available. Yeah. And I wasn't sure if I was going to do anything with it, but I kind of had the thought, I don't want some other knob to get this and then do something <laughs> like, you know, just do something really asinine with it. Right. So I grabbed them up. And then after I decided not to do anything with them myself, then I reached out to him and uh, I gave them to him. Like he insisted on paying me some money, but I would have just given them to him. You gave them to him. I would have sold them for like thousands of dollars. Really? Yeah, it's like a domainer would do. Fuck those people, man. They got to make money too. They got to (laughs) eat. No, that's, I, you know, fuck those people. Um, That's not real work in my opinion, honestly. but whatever. Um, so, <laughs> I have strong opinions about things, Beverly. Okay. Yeah, I noticed. It's fine. <laughs> but, um, but no, really, I mean, I just like, I didn't, I wanted him to have them. Like if I wasn't going to do something with it, which if I did something with it, I would have contacted him anyway and said, Hey, right. do something with this. But, um, but I, I realized that I didn't want to, and I didn't want to appropriate that. And I considered that to be someone else's property in, in, in a sense, like, in a, in a, 
in a kind of a collegial sense that, so I just wanted to give it to him. Like he did, he paid me 300 bucks and whatever. I'm, oh, sweet. I accepted it like, because I, I believe in accepting things. And, um, I think it's, it's rude to say no when somebody gives you something. Um, even if it's just like, Oh no, you shouldn't have. I think that's actually bullshit. Really? Um, yeah. But why? Cause you're rejecting. You're not oh. receiving. What if you don't actually want it though? Well, that's a different, <laughs> um, you know, I think, but if somebody's really giving you something, you know, um, to honor their gifts is, is to receive it. Right. So, and I think a lot of people have issues with that and they don't take compliments well, you know, right. You pay them a compliment and, and they say, oh, and they explain why they weren't worthy of that compliment. And I'm just like, why you got to do me like that? You know? <laughs> I was just trying to tell you, you look nice. <laughs> like, For some people, it's awkward. Yeah, well, you know, fuck those people. Hey, <laughs> I'm one of those people. I'm like, oh, okay, thanks. But like, well, I'm not wearing makeup. Come on, Beverly, do it better. <laughs> Be better for yourself. Don't tell me how to live my life, Gary. Well, don't defend your bullshit. <laughs> I am going to come on your podcast. And you can just yell at me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really. And I'm not really telling you what to do. I'm no, just I saying know. I'm trying to kind of paraphrase what I would have in my own internal conversation with myself. Yeah. Like to say that, you know what? Because I, you know, I was shitty at it. Like I'm better at it now, but it's a work in progress. You know, like, so things like thank you things like sorry these things in my in my opinion should be should be given and received without explanation because the explanation is actually about you why Just, would sorry not need an explanation though well it's not a because the, the explanations about the person apologizing so it, it's not that you can't talk about why you said sorry it's just like that i'm sorry but you know, I'm oh. sorry, and like all that stuff. Yeah. It's bullshit. Just say sorry. Like, so I'm sorry. And, you know, I, that, that, that wasn't cool of me to do that. I'm sorry. Right. And that's all you need to say because people explain away things and every fucking character that <laughs> comes out of their mouth actually chips away at that apology and diminishes it. That makes sense. I'm way into ownership of feelings, which is what the whole I feel thing is about. Wait, so if I was like, I'm sorry, Gary, you're wrong. And then I corrected you. Well, in my mind, is that like the wrong use of sorry? Because I'm not really sorry. You're just wrong and dumb. <laughs> that's, some, that's some hardcore bullshit. Sorry, right there. Right. Okay. Right. Cool. So apology to me is precious. You know, it's meaningful. So when people use it all the time, sorry, not sorry is what they're saying. What if someone was like, sorry, not sorry, you're wrong, Gary. <laughs> sorry, not, well. And Canadians use sorry all the time. Like, I know it's a stereotype, but it's true. Oh, fuck those people. Yeah, fuck Canadians. Yeah. <laughs> Put that in your title of your podcast episode. Yeah. Okay, that will be Gary yeah. Nugent says fuck Canadians. <laughs> and then you'll get like hate mail or something. 
Canadians no, no. will be like, sorry. Well, I just wanted to have sex with a lot of Canadians. <laughs> <clears throat> Over 300 of them. <laughs> so uh, originally the I Feel podcast, I was going to call it the Brainfuck podcast. Oh, that would be cool. So the, the title being, you know, your brain will fuck you and not the good kind. Because <gasps> in recovery from PTSD, you have to learn how to manage triggers. So things that will trigger your emotional response that don't really come from the person or situation that you're in, they actually come from your trauma. Okay. So you kind of have to get to this stage where you can kind of intercept yourself in a conversation, pull yourself back and, uh, you know, like say stuff like, um, somebody's talking about like, uh, like, like, old sandwiches in the office kitchen or something, right? Like a regular work thing that someone would talk about. And if that was really connected to your trauma. So what I figured is my lazy brain wants me to associate the negative feelings with the person who's talking about moldy sandwiches. But really, it's not. It comes from my trauma. So I want to make sure I get in there and own that and process it. And, and it's my feeling. Because I don't want to have that cloud every interaction that I have with people. I want that trauma to get through and be processed and owned. So I developed this kind of adversarial relationship with my own brain. Because I became convinced that it was trying to fuck me. And <laughs> I was right, you know. And the, the point is that my lazy brain wants me to be a homophobic, racist, sexist, anything-ist person because it's way easier to consider one cliched version of a person than it is yeah. to actually realize that, hey, there's seven billion of these fuckers <laughs> and they're all different from each other, every one of them. And so I just kind of became convinced that my brain had its own discrete survival instinct and that it was going to survive better by being um, complacent by putting everything in buckets. <laughs> okay. Can we also, before I let you go, I want to talk about Internet World 2001. Oh, Nero's Rome. Like, describe this to me, please. So do you know the story of, of Nero, the emperor? No, no. Okay. So he's like the last, like, and I don't know history that well, so I just kind of know this story a little bit. So he's like the last emperor who's kind of there at the downfall of Rome. Right. So... So, and he liked to like have sex with horses and, and play the violin. Was that and, the guy and, from One Guy, One Horse? I don't know that, but maybe. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, was, he was like a, he was a pretty fucked up dude by all accounts. Uh, so, and like I said, I don't really know the whole history. I just kind of know the story because there's kind of a, a saying about it where uh, basically, you know, Nero fiddles while Rome burns. So he's having orgies in the palace and fucking horses and fiddling, like playing his violin <laughs> while, while the whole city around him is burning to the ground, right? right? So this is what internet world was like in 2001 in March. It was in Los Angeles. And I was there with a partner that we had because I was managing um, technology partnerships at Sprint in, okay. in, uh, in Toronto. And so we were there for a really specific kind of reason to connect with some guys because we were working on a project. And uh, 
and this is kind of the best way to connect with them. And plus it was kind of a fun idea to go to internet world in Los Angeles. And so the whole thing was so strange. Like this is just before the crash, just before the dot-com crash. So this is why I thought of Nero and Nero's Rome. And like everything at that conference was about content, like content management. So it's the first time kind of it's the, like the emergence of the CMS came from mm-hmm. that world um, about, about bandwidth shaping and like content devices and appliances, web servers, all this stuff, right? But the reality is there was no content. Like people were not using it the way they do today. So there's all this stuff built for it and all this hype around it, but it was false. And this is kind of why the whole crash happened. And so it was really about to happen. And so you could really see with the people that were there working the booths and stuff, they had these like really thin smiles, you know, like they kind of knew what was going on. Um, Like it was the whole thing was pantomime. And there was this company, Genuity, a big American insurance company, and they had a quarter of the floor. And so (laughs) you've ever been to Staples Center for a conference. It's pretty big, right? And there were two rooms, right? Like Salon A and Salon B, but they're huge. And these guys had a quarter of the floor. Like it must have cost them like a hundred grand just for their booth, you know, like, yeah. And they had a guy who was on like a two story tall unicycle (laughs) juggling fire. And I just remember that so much. Like that's the impression of me. That is to me, the dot-com era is represented by that symbol. A guy on a fucking two story unicycle juggling fire, you know, meanwhile, all the investors are losing their shirts on the dot-com crash. Okay. It was a crazy, it was a crazy thing. It was so crazy. Did dot-com actually crash though? Oh God. Yeah. Hard. The internet in general? Well, no, not, not like, not like Ralph broke the internet kind of crash. Um, I mean the, the economy of it. Yeah. No, that, Okay. Now the I bubble, understand. the bubble burst and stuff got devalued and companies disappeared and people like so many people lost their jobs. So many people. That's so sad. It is sad. Oh, I love the internet. Um, <laughs> Are you going to cry Beverly? It's yeah, okay. I'm going to. The internet, the internet is still alive. But the internet loves me. So that's okay. Right. Um, <laughs> one last question. Because that's all that matters, Beverly, <laughs> is how many likes you have on Instagram. Right. Because I'm all about vanity metrics. So exactly. true. Just kidding. One last question. If I know you, you're not. I know. Thank you. Um, <laughs> if, you had to cho- if you had to give a stranger, like, one life tip, what would it be? Love yourself. I like that. And it doesn't need an explanation because it's so like, hey, love yourself, you fucking bitch. <laughs> love yourself, bitches. <laughs> yeah, no, um, I like that. But I, I think even that, I would say maybe accept yourself. Like, you can work on the love part. note that this was pre-recorded months ago so i am no longer on tinder disclaimer find gary online you can go to linkedin and type in gary p nugent or you can go to at goat factor on twitter and that's him 
He says he doesn't really use social media a lot, but I think he's lying. Anyways, thanks so much for joining me for this episode. In two weeks, we'll have another episode of Strangers in Passing for you. So next time you're on Tinder, remember to adjust your age ranges. I mean, unless you don't want to, then don't. Bye!